So here's the game plan this morning. We're going to actually go into a very um, in-depth, deep teaching today. I want you to be prepared for it. Then secondly, at the end of the teaching, there are going to be some application steps that you can do immediately this week. And then before you get out of here, I'm going to pray a prayer of release that I actually, and I've been praying this week about this, I really do feel that many of you in in this place that take hold of this truth will find a a dynamic change in your life this week in the way you view the world around you and the release of some freedom in your life. Several years ago, we sent a team over to Italy and consisted of a worship team, uh, some leaders, and some youth. We went over to join with a local church in Rome with the idea of preaching about Jesus and singing about Jesus in the piazzas around Rome. We happened to have an afternoon where we had some free time, and so we, we took the train into the city and to the Vatican, not to preach and sing, although if they would have asked us, we would have. And I'm sure if they'd known we'd have been there, they would have asked us. <laughs> and so on the way in, we're sitting in the train, and and Silvio, who's part of our church and has helped leading the group, and, and he's Italian, and he's, he was, part of his life was raised in Italy, and he's aware of what's happening around us, and it was great having him help lead us. Suddenly, on the train, Silvio began yelling at a guy, and I couldn't figure out what, what was going on, and we all looked at what, what's Silvio doing, and obviously, because he was speaking Italian, we had no idea what he was saying, but we found out as time went on what was happening. Because we were novices of being on the train and being in Rome, we didn't understand the, uh, the great danger of pickpockets on the train. That's where they do a lot of their work. Silvio had noticed as they had crowded up to an exit to get off the train that as some were leaving and were being jostled, a pickpocket had reached in and grabbed a guy's wad of cash out of the front of his pocket and the pickpocket and the victim both walked off the train. But Silvio noticed that an accomplice that had helped work the situation stayed on the train. So Silvio began to yell at the guy, began to shame him, and began to mark him as a pickpocket. Soon everybody on the train knew there were pickpockets on board. Everybody checked their valuables, and and certainly the, the guy got off the train at the next stop as fast as he could. Silvio is my hero. This morning, I would like to be Silvio for you for the next five weeks. I want to be a voice of warning. I want to tell you that there is a thief on the train. I want to tell you that there is a thief who's desiring to take all that God has wanted to give to you of value and wants to leave you in poverty. I want to tell you that one of the things he wants to do is remove this truth for you And Jesus spoke this truth in Matthew, the sixth chapter, the 28th verse, and this is what he said. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that they are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? How many followers of Jesus do we have in this room? So you follow Jesus. Chloe, you follow Jesus. How long have you been following Jesus? A long time. Did you follow him last week? Will you follow him this week? Did you follow him today? You following him now? 
Where is he? I don't see him. If you're following one of these guys, I believe you because they're right here. But where's, how do you know you're following him? In here? You can see him in there? You can feel him in there. See, the, what we're dealing with here is we're talking about when you come to this gathering like this, and one of the things we have to deal with, especially if you're intellectually prone to, to have to figure everything out and measure it all out, is that we're dealing with, and, and the song you heard that Kids Turns doing, they talked about, about alien and being foreign to this land. It's so, it's so certainly true because when I'm asking Chloe, who she's following, and it's Jesus, and, and how does she know she's following Jesus? It comes down to this. It's a thing called faith. If you don't have faith, how can you believe you're following someone that you cannot see? So we have this thing we call the scripture. The scripture is a description of the place we cannot see, the, 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 the realm in which we, we function, that we are alien to this world because it's a, it's a much broader, more dimensional world that what we cannot see, but that book describes it and tells us how to live that. We have this, when I asked Chloe where, where Jesus is, she said he's in here because she hears him in here. That we have this, this spiritual capacity to understand what God is speaking to us. In fact, you can't be a follower of Jesus unless you've heard God's voice right in here because the scripture says you can't come to him unless he calls you. So you have that ability. So you have this Holy Spirit of God who's speaking to us about following him and doing things that, that are happening in the invisible realm. In addition to that, he said, I give you elders within the community of faith who for decades have been learning how to follow what God is doing in the invisible realm, and they are here to teach you and guide you in knowing how to do that. Now, in that invisible realm, we also call the kingdom of God, this takes place. And Jesus said, why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. And then he ends with these words. So why do you have such little faith? The words little faith actually translated come from two words, and it means this. Puny Persuasion. Why do you have such puny persuasion? Why is it that, that you have such little persuasion in your life that God is working on your behalf in an invisible realm so that your faith is so weak and that your, your persuasion is so puny that we put our confidence in only that which we can see? If we are to live in what we have called the holy wild, the holy wild is this place where the kingdom of God is. The holy wild is this place where we, we understand what God is doing around us and we live it out as aliens. The holy wild is that place where we believe the words of Jesus and we follow through with those words. Even though we cannot see clearly exactly what's happening, we trust his words. If we are to live in this holy wild, then Jesus goes on to tell us this. Verse 31 of chapter 6. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs, so seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry, and circle that word worry. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. 
let, let me share with you what P Pam and I continually learn and are learning about this whole thing of worry. Our daughter, as you know, we, we, we told you, I think last week, that my daughter Christy is pregnant and will be our first grandchild. And, and, and Christy had called Pam, and, and Christy's husband, Jesse, is working overseas for about four weeks, and she said, Mom, can you come be with me? And of course, Pam said, yes, I will come with you, uh, come be with you, living there in, in Colorado. And then she hung up and turned to me and said, now get me there. <laughs> I said, what? She said, you got to get me there. I told her I'm coming. I said, honey, you know that we don't have that budgeted. We've been through a wedding, and we just did a reception for our son here, and, and we just, we, we, don't, we, we don't have that. She said, well, I have to go now. I said, well, I, don't, I, I said, you'll have to pray it in. It was quiet for a while. <laughs> and we are so tempted to worry. The word worry actually comes from a, a word that means to be divided. To worry means that I can either lean heavy into God and say, here's the issue, what will we do about this? Or I can say, I don't see you functioning or doing anything in the visible realm, so I will go find another way to accomplish this. And it splits me from God as I try to determine how I'm going to make this happen. And I keep thinking about it and thinking about it and trying to manipulate it. And it causes me to go into an anxiety and a worried state. So Pam began to pray, and we tried not to worry, but there were times I got, how am I going to get her there? Well, in all of this, and, and you know the story that, that I received a call from my mom and my dad, who'd been dealing with, with dementia and also pneumonia, was going to pass, and, and she said, you need to get here pretty quick. Well, we still have the budgetary issues. So I said to Pam, the only thing I can figure out is we'll jump in the car and leave tomorrow morning. We can only drive down, so we'll drive 13, 14 hours down to Missouri and try to get there in time. Well, the good news that day when we decided that is that suddenly a ticket was made available for me to fly down there, and so I did. So on Tuesday morning at 4.30 in the morning, I was at the Erie Airport, and I noticed on the board it said overbooked, that, that they had too many too many flyers going on that plane. And I said, well, what's the deal with that? And they said, well, look, here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll get you another flight. And I said, well, I, I've got to be, I got to be in Springfield pr pretty quick here. And they said, well, here's what we'll do. Instead of flying you to Philly, we'll put you in a car, we'll drive you down to Pittsburgh, put you on a plane in Pittsburgh, fly to Chicago, and you will catch the exact flight you're going to have to Springfield to begin with. And so that's what they did. And by the way, did I mention that they gave me a voucher for an airline ticket? And this morning, Pam's on her way to Colorado. And, and, and she said, you know, this week she said, you know, our son should come home for Christmas. I said, honey, you know, we can't do that. And she said, well, I'll pray about that too. And this, <laughs> and this morning they were overbooked. And so they took her on another flight, got her to Colorado earlier and gave her a voucher so she can use it at Christmas. So I don't know. God knows how to manipulate U.S. Air. I'm telling you. <laughs> Worry is the fear that God is not able to work out what needs to be done in the land we cannot see, in this invisible realm. That he's not coming through for us, that, that either what he said is not true, or he really didn't mean it, but he can't do it, or he doesn't have enough power to accomplish it, but, or that I'm messing it up, but there's a problem there, and he's not going to come through. That is living in poverty. We can make six figures here, or we can just barely be making it with food stamps, but in either case, we can still live in this spirit of poverty. 
Poverty is refusing to become what God has destined us to become. That is poverty. We have trouble believing that Jesus can put us in a place where we are experiencing the fullness of God's plan for us. Chuck Pierce says it well when he says, poverty is not just experiencing lack, but fearing that we will lack. It occurs when we conform our circumstances to the blueprint given us by the world, and we never see who God really made us to be. Poverty occurs when the God of this world surrounds and influences us with the world's perspective, causing us to forget God's ability in the midst of our circumstances. Poverty is the voice that says, God is not able. Jesus said, seek first my kingdom and do those righteous things and all those other things will be what? Added to you. Seeking God's kingdom, let me define it for you. Seeking God's kingdom is understanding God's intention for you and then you developing the skill with his guidance to be able to appropriate that, for you to be able to accomplish it. Watch what God says to Joshua as Joshua discovers that he's supposed to lead the children of Israel after Moses dies. God says to Joshua in Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way, what? Prosperous, and then you will have good success. Joshua, if you will read what I've given you here, you will discover what my intention is for you, and listen to my voice. And now get busy doing it. Find the skill and find the ability that I've given you and begin to practice it. Begin to discern how you should accomplish that. What we have got to do is discover what God wants us to be, what his destiny is for us, and then believe that he has the resources that we should have to be able to accomplish that and begin to practice what he's told us that we should be. Then he says we will be prosperous. That word prosperous is an action word. It means to break out. It means to move forward powerfully. So here's what I believe as I've studied the scriptures as to what God wants to do for us when it comes to our resources and our finances. God wants us to break out into securing what he has, what he has provided so that we have enough to enjoy life, to promote his kingdom, and bless others along the way so that they can fulfill their purposes in God. That is what God means when he says you are rich. And to be rich is more it is not to have more than we need, but to be rich is to master the place or the position that the Lord has assigned us. And in that spot, we have fullness. So if your task is to run a business and God has given you that business, then his intention is for you to succeed in that place, in that position. Now you need to say, God, what do you want to accomplish in this business? What do you want to accomplish in my job? What do you want to accomplish in my school? What do you want to accomplish in my house? And to ask him to reveal to you what it is that he wants to do and then begin to believe that that is exactly what he's going to do. If there's something that you've, if there's one thing I know about Erie, having lived here almost 19 years, is that there is within this city this desperation and this feeling of hopelessness because we don't believe that God has a destiny for this city that needs to be fulfilled. And if we as the church will begin to believe it, it will change this city. So now why did he say, 
you'll be prosperous. Why did he say you need to break out? You need to break out because there is a force keeping you in. There is a force ready to steal what God wants for your life. Money is not evil. In fact, it is neutral. It is not good. It is not bad. The key is our relationship and dedication to the power behind our resources. Therefore, dethroning poverty means that we must dethrone its power. So within the same discussion of seeking the kingdom of God and all the stuff being added, Jesus makes this wonderful declaration. He says, no one can serve two masters. Now get this, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other, but you cannot serve both God and money. The word money is actually the word mammon. Mammon is a Syrian name for an idol that was worshipped because it was the god of riches. And Jesus is saying that you cannot worship God and divide our riches from him because in doing so, we are now bowing to an idol. We are giving devotion and reverence to mammon by giving it superiority in our lives. And the power of poverty, mammon, is subtle in its seduction. One of the symptoms is this, when we begin to cultivate an ungodly fear of not having enough, so that it overtakes us so that we either hoard or we covet. Yeah, I know those kids in Haiti at that orphanage need food daily, and I probably could help them out, but I'm not sure whether or not I'm getting laid off at GE. That is a spirit of poverty creating fear. You know, if, if the economy would just stabilize, I would tithe. That is a spirit of poverty creating fear. You know, as soon as I make as much as they do, then I will give as they give. That is a spirit of poverty creating fear. When we stop being generous with what we currently have, or we fear so that we will not make a wise investment that we know we should make, then we have bowed down to a spirit of poverty because we trust in the riches that are in hand instead of the God we cannot see. The God that we cannot say, see, the psalmist describes this way in Psalm 111.5. Speaking of God, he said, He has given food and provision to those who reverently and worshipfully fear Him. He will remember His covenant forever and imprint it on His mind. Remember that word covenant because we'll be coming back to that in just a moment. So why don't we believe that? Behind every idol, there is a spiritual power. That power doesn't want us to believe God. In fact, that power creates a culture giving us an alternative to trusting God. It was from the very beginning. To Adam and Eve, the voice came and said, did he really say that? Because I think he's holding out on you. And there's this alternative. There's this thing over here. There's this culture you can grab hold of and you can be just like him. There is this spiritual power that's trying to convince us that there is another way, another trust. Mammon is not just the love of money, but it is a demonic spirit. 
attempting to set itself up as equal with God. That it says if you will trust here, if you will trust in this economic indicator, if you will trust this bank account, if you will trust this raise, if you will trust this this new job, if you will trust living in this location, if you will trust this stuff, because God's not working on your behalf because it's taking way too long for him to do this, then you will be okay. The weapon that mammon uses is fear. And so I will now tell you my opinion, and you can certainly disagree with it. But I believe the economy in America is driven by mammon. I believe it's driven by fear. That the core of our marketplace is Wall Street. And if you ever watch the stock market, it moves on fear. The kingdom of God does not move on fear. For perfect love casts out all fear. When the economy turns, when we have high jobless rate, the fear in us says, now what are we going to do? When you are on food stamps and this week yours got cut 5%, you go, what am I going to do? Somewhere in all of that, we have got to turn back to God and say, United States economy or Japan's economy or Europe's economy or Greece's economy does not affect who you are, God. And therefore, I'm coming to you and asking you, what should I do? Because I have no clue at this point, but you've got to help me because you are my source. So we fear. We don't tithe because we're not sure that God can make the 90% cover everything. And so we hold on. When we worry that we won't have enough money, we are not agreeing with God's word or his promises that he'll take care of us. And isn't it amazing that when I hold on to that 10%, it still doesn't cover it all? That voice will say to us, you know, you, you're not feeling very good and you should, you should feel better, so go buy that thing. You know, you would look better if you go buy that thing. You know, you deserve that right now because it won't be on sale much longer, so you should go get that right now. And it isn't amazing after we do that, we realize that we felt better for about a week and now we feel bad again. That we looked good until Macy's came out with the new style. That we wanted it and we got it right away, but now we want something else right away. I find it interesting that right now around heaven and those who are prophetic have been able to describe it in the scripture what it looks like, that those around God's throne right now have been richly rewarded for their faithfulness. They have riches, they have rewards. And the scripture tells us they're taking those rewards and they're throwing them back at God's feet because they're saying, in comparison to you, these things have no value. The things that I thought were important, they're not there. It's, it has no value to me. Listen into the conversation that God and and Moses have, and, and God says, well, I'll tell you what, I'm still going to take you and Israel, and I'm going to take you to that land that's full of prosperity. And Moses says, oh, no, 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 no. If you're not going, I'm not going. Because the stuff, that good stuff, is no longer very good if your present is, presence is not in the provision. Good stuff without God's presence is empty. And that's poverty. 
Jesus said, I'm going to make it clear to you, if you love money, if you love mammon, if you love the possessions, then you hate me. And if you hate me, you don't have my presence. But if you serve me, then you'll hate all of that stuff that distracts you from me. Because God wants to bless us. God wants to bless us. He just doesn't want money to become our false God. And when we focus too much on money, prosperity, and wealth, we are listening to an evil spirit. Let me say it again. When we focus too much and get too worried about our prosperity or our wealth or how to, how to pay the bills, when we begin to worry, we are listening to an evil spirit. Let me just say it again. When we listen to worry about our wealth, we are listening to an evil spirit. So how do we resist that fear produced by the spirit of poverty? In the ancient world, cities were built, and the main entrances to the cities were gates. The gates were so vitally important because they protected the city, and they were so vitally important that the marketplace was built near the gates. In fact, the seat of government was at the gates. And so, if you control the gates, you control the city, you control the government, you control the marketplace. So important was the protection of the gates that the Canaanites would actually take human sacrifices and worship their gods, their, their demonic deities at the gates, dedicating those gates to the deities, asking the deities for that protection. The demonic forces then were responsible for protecting the city, but because they were worshipped, they now owned the gates. They owned the city. They owned the government. They owned the marketplace. That belonged to them. The spirit of mammon ruled. I think it's the same case in America. So how do we personally get ourselves to the place that we are free from this, this spiritual drive, this, this evil lie, this deceit, this drive that keeps moving us from God as our resource and trying to find our own way? How do we force mammon out? We give God the gates. We release all possessions into God's hands. We say, God, here it is. I'm going to give you everything I have. I'm going to give you my gates. I'm going to give you my authority. I'm going to give you all of this, at least in my house. Here's the gate. This belongs to you. I want you to rule so that this deceitful, demonic spirit will not drive me, but instead, I will hear you. I will listen to you. We know that this is, is a pattern for us because when the children of Israel were going in to take the promised land, the psalmist declared it for us. They would go into evil cities, and here's what the declaration would be. Psalm 24, verse 7. Open up, ancient gates. Open up, ancient doors, and let the king of glory enter. And who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, invincible in battle. Oh, we're giving these gates to God, so that this entire property, this, this, these cities that God's giving us, now belong to God, and mammon is forced out. So how do we do that practically? You say, well, you're talking spiritual stuff. What do I do? I believe that one of those ways that God gives us the ability to open up our finances and our authority to God, especially in our homes, is through the tithe. 
This I do know about the tithe. The tithe is giving God 10%. God said, if you're following me, if you're a believer in me, then the 10% belongs to me. Because the 10% declares who is Lord, who is ruling. If you give the 10% to me, I rule. If you give the 10% to yourself or to the desire for finances or to worry, you have given it to mammon, and whoever you've given it to now controls your finances. That is one of the reasons, no matter what financial condition Pam and I have found ourselves in, even, even being fired and at, at one time and even being laid off and not having income for six months, no matter what income we had, we always tied because we said, God, we want you to know that we believe that you are our resource and we will not bend down to, to mammon. We will not bend down to that demonic force. We will not believe that that thing can take better care of us than you can. And so we would give 10% because God promised that he would give us enough that the 90% would cover us and even give us more so that we could not only be able to be take care of ourselves, but we could promote his kingdom and that we could also bless other people so that they could find their way with God in that process. That's why the prophet Malachi said, speaking for God, in fact, he said, here's what God says. God says to you that you have taken and robbed me of the 10% that belonged to me. Therefore, a curse has come upon you. And it's not that God says, hey, I'm going to curse you. God just said, I'm pulling back and mammon's taking over and mammon will drain you of all that I've given you. There is a curse upon you and the devourer will come and eat up what you have. But if you will trust me and give to me what belongs to me, I will rule your gates and I will pour out of the windows of heaven a blessing that you cannot contain. You say, man, but, but, but that's tough because I see the bills. I know. I've, I've held a foreclosure notice in my hand before and I had, had no income coming in. And yet God said, hey, listen, I'll take care of this. And he did. That's a real tough thing to do. I'm telling you, it is a tough thing because it's faith and it's trusting God in a realm we cannot see. But he said, if you, if you don't follow me in faith, then, then you're not following me. So we must release all possessions into God's hands. Secondly, if we're going to resist this fear, we need to constantly review God's directives. How many have ever fasted before? Have you ever noticed when you fast, you never realized how many food commercials there were at night? <laughs> I've never seen many, that many pizza commercials in my life. When I'm, when I'm fasting, there they are. It's horrible. It's because I'm so focused now on resisting and denying myself that it's obvious that this is counter to it. In the same way, if you will take time to study what God says about economy, about the economy, and about taking care of your resources. If you study it according to what happens in his kingdom, you begin to recognize around you how the love of money controls our culture. I am so surprised that when I start focusing on that, I begin to see how I've been sucked in to, to believing those things. You know, believe it or not, this morning in the, in the morning paper, Macy's is having a sale. And you begin to be sick, well, again and again and again and again. Sometimes I'll, I'll say, hey, Pam, I want a pair of shoes, and I want those shoes. And she'll go, well, don't you have shoes? Yeah, but, 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 but. She says, well, who are you listening to? And I said, well, wait a minute. 
You know that blouse you bought? So we have this war. But the issue is this. When we focus on God's economy, begin to understand how he said we should function, we begin to understand how it really will benefit us and we see how mammon tries to destroy us by this, this fear that says, I must have. I appreciate the words of this man who said, because you have the mind of Christ, you are called to pair your natural learning with spiritual knowledge and wisdom. You can see all aspects of a problem, not just the earthly aspect. As you study, you will see gaps in what the secular sources are teaching you because you have higher truth that enables you to generate an even better approach to problems in your area of expertise. Let me tell you, faith is not just an emotion. Faith is an understanding, the brain that God gave you, understanding what God is saying and the best ways to function within this world as you live out the kingdom of God here on this earth. So here's what I'm I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to study how you should prosper. I'm asking you to study how you should use your finances, how you should trust God. I'm asking you, go to a financial peace university and figure out the practicalities of what God has put in the scriptures. I'm asking you to read books, and I'm going to recommend one to you. I think we have a picture of it here called The Treasure Principle. Read that thing because it tells you how God says you should prosper how you should live in the place that he's put you, how you can break forth to grab hold of the resources that he's brought to you. Because quite frankly, as I've been dealing with people in these last months and years, I see a great concern. I see a great fear building up in us saying, what are we going to do? What's going to happen to the economy? And we take our money and we stick it in our pockets and we won't help anybody because we're so afraid of what the future is going to be. And God says, you can't live that way. My brother-in-law and sister lived in South Africa for years, and, and they would deal with such poverty. And there was a neighboring country that had this horrible famine. And so he came to the church in poverty, and he said to them, we've got to help them. and said, we have nothing. Let the United States take care of it because we're so good at sending money. He said, no, 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 no. They can do what they want to do, but we've got to do something out of our own poverty. And so he, they went out and got a huge container and said, bring what you have. And these people sacrificially came and began to fill that container over and over and over and eventually sent it to help them. And when they sent it, there was such a release of joy in their lives that God began to prosper them. We cannot wait till we say, I've reached this point. Now I can be generous. God said, I will make you generous all the time if you will trust me with what you have. We need to understand God's word because it is the clearest way to recognize spiritual lies and resist them. Remember Jesus, when he was attacked in the wilderness by by Satan, and he'd always come back and say, it is written. It is written. And so when you begin to fear, when you say, I don't know if I can pay that gas bill. I don't know if I'm going to find the job. I don't know if I'm going to get the raise. I don't know if I'm going to get laid off. You've got to go back to the scriptures and say, here's what he said, and it is written. Because it begins to, to change the spiritual nature around us. Because if we begin to worry, we begin to to convince ourselves it's going to be horrible and and we're going to have a rotten life or we're going to lose the house, we begin to speak our own future instead of declaring what God said he will do for us. So thirdly, practice generosity. Paul the Apostle told the Jesus followers in Corinth about the Jesus followers in Macedonia living in extreme poverty and he said they have overflowing generosity. He said, and the reason they do that is they began this way. They gave themselves first to God. He said, here, here's the gates. Take them. Remember the word covenant that you circled? That word covenant? 
A working definition I've given you is simply this. If it, ma it matters to me because it matters to you. That's covenant. And so we say to God, God, it matters to us because it matters to you. And what matters to you is that we take care of these people who are in need, and so I will share what I have. And God says, okay, that's great, because what matters to me is what matters to you, and I know you need your needs taken care of, so I will take care of you as you trust me. For he did say this, give and it will be given to you, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Daily generosity is the most direct way to stay detached from the spirit of poverty and its fear. So I want to encourage you, every day, find a way to be generous. Do something. So there's the application. I want you to begin, if you're not already doing it, finding ways to be generous all week long. I want you to begin to research what God has said about your finances, because I think where we're headed as a nation, we need to know how God's going to take care of us. We also need, if you haven't done it, to go to him and say, I'm going to release my gates to you. Here you go. I'm going to give you all my possessions. And if you're not tithing, I'm telling you, you are ripping yourself off. I could stand before you and give you story after story of God's provision because we trusted him. I could have people in this congregation stand and say, I wasn't trusting God. We're having a tough time. And I began to, to declare that he was the Lord of my gates by tithing to him. And he began to make a difference in our lives. Because that's what he does in that invisible realm. So would you stand? Told you this was a, a strong teaching and I want you to act on it, but I want to, first of all, pray over you as your shepherd to release you into it. You good with that? Yeah. Would you just turn to the person next to you and say, I still like Jack Reisner. <laughs> all right. That's good. Wish my wife was here. <laughs> All right. So now I'm going to pray over you, and I believe there's a spiritual dynamic being released right now. You know, a, a few years ago, we prayed over business owners that, that, that those people who owed them money, the money would be released, and that more clients would come in. And I had story after story of people who actually took that serious, and their business began to expand. Because God just does that stuff. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and I, you may even want to take a posture of receiving just with the hands open saying, God, I'm so open to this, and begin to see what he does. So now I pray that any atmosphere of poverty encircling you or your sphere of authority will be invaded by the atmosphere of blessing and presence of God Almighty. I pray that you will see the magnitude and the massiveness of God and his love for you. That you will discern the voices of the spirit of poverty around you, and you will declare that the king of glory is entering your gates. I pray that you will have the courage to release all you possess to God, and will receive the restoration from God for all the enemy has tried to take from you. And as you tithe, may God's lordship take control of your finances and your employment. And as you give, may your generosity be returned back to you multiplied over and over and over again. And may you find the joy in God's place for you and in providing resources for others to find God's place for them. May this be the beginning of your freedom from the spirit of poverty. 
And may you find God's protection as you enter into your freedom. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus we pray, the name that is above every name, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In that name, we seal you now. Amen. 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 So go empowered and watch your life change. God bless you.